What's business development? Unlike being an accountant or a lawyer, working in business development means you often get asked, what exactly do you do? Business development can mean something completely different in every industry and at every company. And because many times we're the only ones of our kind at a company, we can struggle with the ambiguity of our own jobs. By exploring the careers of some of the brightest members of the Fernio business development community, we'll learn what this job is all about and how to do it well. And perhaps, once and for all, we can answer the age-old question, what exactly is business development? After the episode, if you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join a community of peers who are all pursuing a similar career journey, join us at Fernio.com. On this episode, Peter Orlowski shares how he went from selling tickets at Madison Square Garden to being a senior partnerships leader at Getty Images and what he's learned over the past 20 years. Take a listen. Hello, I'm Peter Orlowski. I'm the SVP of partnerships at Getty Images. In my role at Getty, I oversee uh, three areas of business, our platform and product business, where we work with companies like Squarespace and Google I also manage our content partnerships where we go out and source supply from big businesses like Sony or Bloomberg. And then I also look at our channel business where we might look at ways we can scale our business. So, um, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn in uh, the 70s and the 80s, which was a pretty special time to grow up as a kid there. Uh, It was a very different world then. Um, There wasn't technology. We were very fiercely independent. We got to leave the house, go out, come back at the end of the day. And what was really unique about it is we ran into a lot of challenges. We had to solve problems. And we were in a position that we were able to do that and figure things out. So early on, that was just a really great opportunity for me. Uh, Also, you know, I loved to play sports. And early on, I realized that um, I love football, I love baseball. But, you know, playing sports was just a really great opportunity for me to go out and compete, which is something I love to do. And I also noticed that I tend to be, be a leader doing that. And, you know, learning those qualities, that was early, my earliest in building, you know, teamwork and camaraderie and really, again, overcoming adversity and challenges and was just, you know, a really great opportunity for me growing up. And I knew that. Uh, one day, you know, when I was young, I thought maybe I'd have some aspirations of playing professional sports like most young kids think about when they're just starting out. So, uh, you know, then I went on and I wound up playing college sports. I went to uh, Stony Brook and I was able to play college ball there and uh, had a really great time in college. And the one thing I did knew when I graduated was that I did want to go into sports to work, right? This was something that I was passionate about. I liked it. And I had to figure out how I was going to do that. So early on, one of the first jobs I was able to get was at Madison Square Garden working for a company that was promoting the Virginia Slims Women's Tennis Championships. And through a referral, I was able to get an interview and go in and meet with them. And it was a sales job. And it was a calling on to sell tickets. It was making 90 calls a day back in the days when you were cold calling everybody. And it was uh, really, you know, challenging. And what I learned the most very early on was, you know, that 
that was the easiest way into sports, right? It was a really hard path to get into. And if you could sell and you could do the hard work, then you might have an opportunity. So for me, it was a great opportunity. I enjoyed it. It was a short uh, one-year opportunity to do that. And the bosses there really liked me. I enjoyed building that relationship with them. And after that, I moved on. So for me, the next opportunity was really interesting. I wound up going to work at a women's health club in Manhattan, right next to Grand Central. It was called Park Two. And, you know, it wasn't traditionally what you would think. I went in in a suit and tie, a lot of professional women that came in every day. And uh, it was my first real experience with learning a sales process. So what you may have thought when people come in, it was these, these people that own the gym were very good. You know, they sat me down and they explained, you know, that we have to ask questions and that we have to, you know, listen and learn and we have to build that up into discovery and understanding commitment of why they're doing this and trying to figure out, you know, what their objectives will be. So throughout the process, you could then be in a position to really see about getting them to join. And, you know, what I found that it was amazing, you know, not just being outgoing, which I had was a good personality, but now understanding how to learn a bit of a skill and what was interesting is it worked, you know. People would come in and right away, you know, they're on the defense. They don't want to be sold anything. So you ask them, why are you here? And they tell you, uh, well, they want to go to the gym, but it takes too long to get there. And they're tired after work when they get home. And, you know, then you show them the equipment and they talk about what they like to do. And then you walk them around and you give them, there's this training and there's help. And then you tell them about everything else and you listen to talk about why they're, and then when, you know, you come to the end and they're like, yeah, I'm not really sure you would then speak to them back about all the wonderful things or challenges of why. And you told me that, you know, this would be the best opportunity and you wouldn't be tired and you would really enjoy the opportunity to train with someone and you could do it right here. And what I found is that that made them want to join because they were actually not really being sold by me, but just selling themselves on why that was a good idea and letting them solve that. So um, it was a really interesting place to work. I learned a lot. Um, it was fast. I burned out quick and I knew that I wanted to do something else. So what happened was I had another opportunity to go back to the garden now in a different role. So my boss there, one of them of the two, had taken a new role. So they called me up to now come back as the manager. And I thought what a great opportunity to now come back and my first chance to actually be in a little bit of a leader role, a managerial role, and something I found to be really exciting. And I got to work with the room and help them learn how to sell and manage them, keep them on pace. And I learned a lot about how to be successful in that room. And it was great. You know, it was a really good opportunity for me. So then after doing that for about a year and a half, I had my first chance to go out and go to California and work for a company that was small called Allsport. And Allsport was creating great sports photography. But they hadn't really built up a big company yet where they were able to sell or license those pictures. And talking some people there, I knew that I had the ability to do that. So I went out there, had the job there, um, started to really love it. And then within a couple of years, uh, Getty Images had come along and acquired the company during the 1998 Nagano Olympics. Getty was ran by Mark Getty. And he had decided that... He wanted to build a business that could scale through the internet, and photography was that company. Uh, as he was acquiring companies, one of them was Allsport, and we became the sports end of that. 
And I went to work there, and it was really exciting to be in a position to start using photography through the internet, where we were sort of pioneering transmitting photos, where most people would look at stills on a light box and a table, and you were doing something cool. So I ran sports there for a few years, which then morphed into running the editorial side of the business, which then in 2008, for about 10 years, uh, from 1998 to 2008, led to me managing all of sales. So I was really starting to grow into it and managing a big sales team that was global, about 200 people. And then in 2009, our CEO came to me and said, you know, we watch what you do well, we see what your strengths are, we think that we should put you in a business development role that you'd be really great help for the company there. So I was excited and challenged by both. I thought what a great opportunity to continue to grow, um, yet I knew that I would have to push myself out of my comfort zone and... Um, you know, it was a bit of a challenge there, uh, but it was great. And a few years later, 2017, I was asked to take on the SVP of that role and to manage the businesses I talked about earlier. And what I realized is, for me, became key to surround myself with really good people so that I'd make my life easier, but give them a chance to be successful, empower them so that they can go out and be super successful and feel good about it. And, you know, continue to try to grow them so that they can grow within an organization and find what will be their next path. That is an incredible story. And it is a rarity, I think, or it is an increasing rarity to come across business development professionals who have evolved their career for such a long time and had a lot of different leadership experiences at the same place. So we'll come back to Getty Images and talk about all the different contributions that you've made here, both uh, as a manager, um, as well as a uh, BD leader. Um, I'd like to go back to the very beginning um, and talk about that first transition where you went from being an aspiring professional athlete to you know to a career in sales, um, and just talk a little bit more about what that was like for you. What what kind of uh, what kind of sports career were you thinking about when you were growing up? Did you want to be a football player, a baseball player? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think like most kids, you know, um, you know, football was my favorite sport, mm -hmm. and I think for me, um, not just the game, the competition, but you know, like what you hear from most athletes, um, the camaraderie and being part of a group and being there where everybody trusts each other. Um, it was just a great place to be. And I think for me, you know, transitioning into a sales opportunity, what I realized is uh, very early on is I had an alcoholic personality. And I was a bit fearless. Um, it was just something I had from being a leader. And, you know, I think that translates well to sales. I think what you do learn is if you're not afraid to go out and do that and have those conversations and call on people and speak to them, you know, they can teach you the rest. And I think, you know, if you're open to learning that, I think that's what I realized quickly, just like within sports is, you know, for me, it was a place to compete at the next level now. So when sports was my field of competition, I knew that I can go out and translate that into business. And that was going to be my next playing field. No, it, it makes sense and, and clearly, you know, establishes what some of the universals are. Um, going back to your career transitions, when you returned to MSG, you know, you'd gained that experience at the Women's Health Club Park 2. Yes. Um, and you'd learned so much about the sales process. And then you came back, I believe, as a manager. Um, 
if sales came to you naturally, how about management? What was it like to be a manager rather than just someone making those calls or trying to close the deal? You know, I, I think that to me was like another real like uh, light bulb going off. I think what I remembered about was, so when I was there the first time, what did I like and what did I didn't like and what was interesting? And the managers would just sit there in the middle of the room and always, you know, be demanding and ask us to deliver things and, you know, be, you know, challenging us and do this and that. But yet at that time, like, they never really did anything to really show us or help us or they were just sort of being bosses, not leaders. And I also realized that um, I wanted to get out there and continue to sell because I thought that was something I was passionate about and I wanted to do well and I also had the ability to earn money if I did that. So rather than just sit around and be a manager, I thought I could do both. And I think organically what happened was, um, you know, I started to get on the phones and, and do that and have those conversations. And I started to, you know, make deals and sell and, and handle objectives. And people would organically start coming to me and ask me questions. So how did you do that? And what did they say? And, you know, what do I do in this situation? And I'm having trouble with this. And what I quickly realized is that, you know, by leading by example, I was building tremendous amounts of credibility. Um, not just credibility, I was building um, authenticity and the fact that I was proving my skill set. So then it became super easy to sort of start helping them get better and be more of, again, a leader than a boss and sort of build that, you know, camaraderie and that trust and that success level um, where, you know, we were all having success, and it became a lot more fun. And that's a valuable thing for managers to learn. And, and it's it's interesting to see, you know, what experiences you had that uh, instilled that value. Um, so, having realized that, you know, you you liked leading by example, you presumably had a bunch of people on your team that were learning from you. Why did you decide to to move across the country for uh, all all sport? You said that. You knew you had the ability, but photography, sports photography is a little bit different than, you know, selling tickets to games. So what yeah. made you decide that uh, you'd be able to help them? Yeah, so that's a good story. Um, I'll, I'll share a little bit. So one of my best friends growing up since we were five years old in kindergarten, um, his name is Al Bello. He's a sports photographer. He's considered one of the top ones in the country. They're actually honoring him at the Lucy's next month. So I'm going to be going to that, which is considered the Oscars for photography. And um, what's nice about Al is, uh, you know, he became this great photographer and we would talk all the time and we went to high school and college. And even when we were in business, we'd talk about what he was doing in California for all sport and taking these great pictures. And one of the pictures that he's very famous for is Odell Beckham when he was on the Giants. He got the one-handed grab and most people, whether they know sports or not, are familiar with that because of him. And I think it's great. But, you know, we would always talk about, you know, what he was doing and how his business was growing, what I was doing. And at some point, it just made sense as they didn't really have a sales organization. They weren't really doing a lot to, you know, build out the commercial side of that business. So I saw an opportunity and I also saw an opportunity to, you know, take a chance to get outside of New York and grow. And I went to meet um, the CEO of the company at the time, that Al Hill broker, and uh, we met for three hours and he said, go home and pack your bags. And, you know, it was wonderful. So I went home, broke the news to my mom, and then moved <laughs> to L.A. And, uh, 
you know, started there. And it was just a great opportunity for me uh, to sort of use what I knew and help grow a very small business into something that became a really successful business. And you were there for several years before the acquisition. Yeah, I was there for four years, from 94 to 98. I helped build that company into a um, really good business that when Getty came looking for sports businesses, that was the one they wanted. And, uh, you know, it was a great time. What was the reaction when uh, when the acquisition took place? Did you think, oh, you know, I want to start thinking about other options? Or did, were you excited about being part of a larger but potentially different kind of company? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was still relatively young. So I think for me, it was a lot of excitement. You know, I think around that time, um, I realized quickly that it was a much bigger business. Um, I saw a lot more opportunity. Um, I also started to see the challenges with that and how, you know, there's a lot of people and people are looking for their, looking out for themselves or how they're going to grow. And, you know, I think it became a really interesting point for me where I think the next uh, big bulb or something came to me. And, and what I decided there and then is that, you know, I was going to continue down the business path the way I am in life, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's important. Like, so however you are, in the real world, your real self, how you treat people, how you act. You know, I felt like I needed to replic- continue to replicate that for business. I've noticed that I've met a lot of people that act a certain way because they're supposed to or they think that this is the role they're in or, you know, that they're in charge. And I felt like for me, you know, what wor- worked really well was being just who I was, you know. And if I didn't know what to do, I would ask. And I wanted to build relationships because I just wanted to help people. Um, and I wanted to be successful, and I wasn't afraid to share that. And I think, you know, that was a really interesting point where what I would say is just being myself and who I was and not worrying about whether I was a boss or a manager or nobody. And just helping the same person any way I could was just the way I wanted to do. And there was room for that kind of authenticity, even though you were now part of a large corporation. Yeah. I think um, that's a great question, and I think I would add into that is, you know, we're very fortunate to be in a great culture, right? And, you know, when you're at a great company with great culture, that starts at the top. And I think, you know, the CEO at the time, Jonathan Klein and Mark Eddy, and the rest of the people there really had a great culture. You know, they had a rule that to this day we still follow in this company. There was a no assholes rule, right, where you can say that or cut it, but... Um, I think we truly live that. And That's I a great rule. Uh, and I think it was really important. And I think when you do that from top down, um, it really works. And it did for us. And then when you transitioned from sales to business development, was that something you had asked for? Was that something you had been asked to do? What was your, what was your response when they approached, you know, when this opportunity presented itself? How did you feel about moving out of sales? Yeah, I think, um, you know, initially, you know, too prone. I think I was excited that they thought of me and wanted to bring me into a role that they thought would be special and that I could grow and help the company. And obviously I saw that because they knew I had great relationships and I had developed these and through deals I had done with sports leagues and other big companies that, you know, they saw something. And whether I knew what it was at that point, um, they saw it, I think. You know, I was really good at managing salespeople, and I would miss that part. But, you know, for me, I always wanted to have a career path and always wanted to keep learning. And even at Getty, I was in sports, and then I was in sales. And then 
for me to continue to build on that was was really an exciting thing. I think um, business development was going to really push me. You know, early on, I realized there was a lot I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, traditionally, you know, a lot of people call themselves business development, and it depends what role you take on, right? But I think if you're really trying to do that, you're now looking at big pictures, you're trying to look within what's the company's goals and objectives, you're trying to identify you know, how businesses can help us be successful or what partnerships we need to make. And even if you have a hunch, then you also have to realize, you know, well, you know, what do I know about this company? Is it a good company? You know, and if we're going to buy this company, why would we do it? And then I realized quickly that having not gone to business school and not having some of these core skill sets um, there were things I probably needed to learn and things that I hadn't had um, learned yet. And it became something of like, all right, how am I going to do this? How am I going to learn? How am I going to grow? And, um, you know, it became a challenge. What kind of skill sets did you feel you were lacking and how did you go about either learning them or, you know, compensating for that knowledge gap? Yeah, yeah I think that's great. I think, um, you know, one of the things around one of my core tenets is don't be afraid to ask for help. So I think a lot of people are afraid to tell people what they know or don't know. I think why that's a mistake is because your bosses know that. So you're not fooling anybody yeah. and you shouldn't be afraid to. Um, and by learning that, you know, quickly you can then better yourself quickly. So I asked for help. One of the things I thought about, should I go to business school? And my boss didn't want me to do that because selfishly he needed me there. And he's like, I'll help teach you. So the things I didn't know was how do you model a business, right? You know, what's it worth? What's the valuation on that? By the way, if we were going to buy a company and we were going to incorporate into our business, how is that going to help us generate more revenue and what cost would be important? And then when we were looking at businesses, you know, what did we need to look at to determine if this was the deal? What should we make the deal at? The discounted cash value. So I started to learn a lot of those things that not just understanding whether you have the right idea, but now the rigorous, the rigor that you need to put around it to be able to frame that to executives or board people or people that were going to put the money for. And I just started to ask for help. And where my boss was great was, is he, you know, he started to give me projects to do. Knowing full well that I probably didn't know what I was doing, but would coach me through it. And even some examples where maybe it wasn't a company we probably were going to buy, but it was worth me having the exercise. And instead of him doing it, he made me do it. And he would say, go do this and come back. And he's like, right, this is right. This is wrong. This is where you got it better. You have the right idea here. How about what about that? So what it was is being in a position to have really good um, leadership and somebody that was willing to work with me, you know, I was able to do that and make the time and put in the time. So I think for me, um, you know, and I didn't necessarily have to become an expert on everything, you know, but as long as I was able to learn a lot of that stuff, there were other people that had finance backgrounds or others that I could tap into and they would help me. I would go and tell them, this is what I need to get done. This is how I want to do it. And they would help me with the model. So I wouldn't have to spend tons of time running a model, but I knew what I needed the model to be. And I think ultimately a lot of those things helped me sort of gain confidence and the experience sort of be in a position to help make the right decisions around things like that. Yeah, no, it, it makes a huge difference when you are in a supportive environment where everyone's helping each other. And also, it's very, it sounds like a very practical education. Often in business school, the examples you get are very theoretical, but you are dealing with uh, transactions that could actually be happening. So it sounds like a very uh, 
powerful way to uh, graduate to the next level. And, it, and it's really interesting. Like what I've noticed throughout the course of my career is so many people that go to business school have legal degrees tend to want to be in that space on the deal making side. And just because you have the tactical experience doesn't transcend that you're going to be a good deal maker. Mm-hmm. And I think to my my position of being a really good deal maker. Um, I had to learn enough about it to be there, but it, they don't equally just match into it. And I thought that's why, you know, I understood his point of like, well, if you learn enough around what you need to and you have these skills, it's hard to find people, even today, that really do that well because it's a combination of relationship and, and building, you know, the core businesses and understanding what the value is for the company. And, you know, so many people are out there cutting deals because they need to grow revenue for their company, right? And that's not really how you build a business for your partner. And when you solve your partner's problems and you can do that, I think that tends to become where you both are successful at it. I think that's what makes for good business development. And empowering other people has definitely been a recurring theme in your own story, and you must have a lot of you know, junior team members working for you. Um, and there probably are also a lot of um, business development uh people who are our listeners that are also still like le- learning the ropes. Um, how do you go about sort of mentoring, you know, um, people who are new at this? Are there certain mistakes or pitfalls that younger BD executives always run up, you know, run up against? And how do you mentor them or provide them with the benefit of your expertise? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, and you also said something earlier, I think it's really important to have good support and leadership. And you know, if you have that, then you're on the right track. And it's hard to overcome that if you don't. And then I think within the guidelines of that, what I would say is, you know, um, most people today that are going out there early on um, not need to worry about, like, trying to do it all on their own. I think, you know, business development, strategic salespeople all think they have to go out and make this deal and show everyone they did this deal. And I think, you know, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to do something successful that benefits the company. And what I mean by that is if somebody's going to go out there, um, they should get help. You know, they should go out there and figure out, well, here's the opportunity I have. And based on my experience, how would we normally go out and do something more successful around that? What are the challenges we have? What are the risks? Get some feedback, get some advice. You know, even today, what I do is if I'm working on a deal, rather than guessing in the negotiation of what I need to do, I'll go to my CEO and I'll go, what does a good outcome look like? Mm. So what I would recommend is, you know, if they're working on things, first, find out what a good outcome looks like. What that does is it gives them what they need to do. Once you have that, now you know what you're comfortable in saying what you're not. I think as far as skill sets, you know, yes, you need help. And I think... You know, I mentor a lot of people in this company, and I do it both for professionally and for personal, like for managerial things. And I think to that point, yeah, so where are their challenges, right? What are they trying to learn? So um, if they're looking at a partnership, how they understand, you know, who they currently work with? What's the competitive landscape? What are their biggest goals to achieve? You know, what models are they trying to put together? How can you solve for that? So, like, once you start asking the right things, you can learn. And then, yeah, there might be challenges if you're fighting on price or value, but ultimately those aren't the hardest things to do in the beginning. The hardest thing is to understand the landscape and how to get the trust and the credibility to understand what the most important thing is getting them to success. 
So I think what I would say to most people is, you know, they should ask for help. They should make sure to learn about, you know, what it is, and they should make sure they do the research on the company. So many people today don't use the tools available, and they're easy. It's not hard. They think, you know, you want to look up a company, if they're public, all the information's there. Everything. You go to their 10K, who their competitors are, what their goals are, what their revenue is. Like, how much easier can that be? If they're private, you can go to Crunchbase. You can look at what they raise, how much money, how they do it, who their competitors are in the space. You know, so, you know, there are a lot of easy ways to start building up foundational value of how you start to do those things. And that's sort of how I try to work with the group today. No, it makes a lot of sense. And you also sort of referenced just the underlying bedrock of knowing your the overall business strategy um, that's shared across everyone you're working with. Um, you have been at Betty at Getty for you've been at Getty for a substantial part of your career. Um, what keeps you in the role? What keeps things fresh for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I still can't believe it, right? So it was 25 years, and you know, I remember like when I started, like it was yesterday. Um, you know, and I used to think, um, wow, you know, you've been at a company so long, you know, it's. It's easy to do that. Most people will say to me, no, it's really hard because there's nowhere to hide if you're not doing something well. So I kind of really appreciate that. But I think for me, um, it's a combination of two things. Like one, um, the first thing is the obvious, right? Like if you could be at a place where, look, you know, we move the world with images, you know, Getty's out there, no matter whether it's, you know, getting that picture on the border of someone being taken that can help change laws or the Olympic photo of, you know, the winning race and what a special photo or just, you know, repicturing women all over the world for Dove, you know, it means something to somebody. And working at a place that has a little bit of purpose, you know, makes people feel good about it. And I think that's a really nice thing um, to be at Getty. I also think, you know, the people here are really great people because of that. And when you work with people you love, it's a really fun place to be. Um, I also have continued to grow, you know, and learn. And those things, growing and learning and being around people that have mentored me both now and in the past, you know, it makes it a really, really tough place to leave. Um, and having the ability to reinvent myself from sports to sales to strategic partnerships to, you know, learning about acquisitions and being in a place where I can incubate companies to learn other things has just been, you know, it's exciting to get out of bed every day and come to work. Yeah, and it's, it is also nice to see, you know, a career that has, um, that has been so varied within one organization. Often we don't have, we have fewer and fewer examples of those to, uh, to look up to. You also mentioned overcoming conflict earlier in our conversation, and I'm sure that not every uh, BD executive has a background in sales, really dealing with people on a regular basis. Can you speak to it all the degree that having that sales background has sort of helped you steer business, steer the business through conflicts when a partnership might be um, hitting some bumps? Yeah, I think um, you know it goes back to one of the tenants we also talked about. It's always easy when things go well, right? And I think. Um, when you handle adversity, you win a, you win a customer for, forever. And I think, you know, some easy things to talk about that is, you know, when I was in sales and we would do a photo shoot for a customer and they didn't like the, what the photographer did, which doesn't happen often, or they got bad pictures, you know, you deal with it right away. You don't hide. You say, look, I'm really sorry. Um, we're not going to charge you for this. And we're going to make it up and we're going to fix it for you. And if you give us another chance, I'm sure we can. 
And those are easy things, you know. And then when you're dealing with high-level people on business deals and you're challenged around whether they want to add a competitor and they don't want to add you and you're really trying to build other reasons and other centered, like, you know, what's important to them, you know, and whether it's, like, helping them get access to something else that they need that has nothing to do with you, whether it's a partner to help them with an editing tool or just sort of working through it over and over. I think, you know, you got to be comfortable to have those really challenging and hard conversations. Um, you know, I did a deal with a sports league years ago, and when it came up for renewal, um, our bosses didn't want to pay more money. And, um, you know, for a couple hundred grand on a big deal, you know, we made a mistake. And, you know, the next time it came up, you know, we went there and we said, look, you know, we made a mistake last time. And we still have the best product and service for you guys, and let's figure it out. And, um, you know, we were able to do that. So I think, you know, you have to be in a position to be able to handle challenges, adversity, when things go bad. And there are a lot of different ones, but the, the biggest key I would say is, you know, you have to not run from it and step right into it. That's a valuable lesson. And I'm sure that um, for every time something goes wrong, there's also many times when things go right. Um, so perhaps you can talk about any deals, partnerships, initiatives that you're particularly proud of that you have worked on, you know, over the, you know, the last five, ten years in your in your time at Getty? Yeah, no, that's another great question. There have been um, a lot of those. I think one that I can say that I'm proud of was um, early on, you know, when Allsport was in the sports photo business, we had a really difficult time getting credentials to events. You know, we weren't AP or Reuters or some of the big media organizations, so the challenge was getting in there. So we had an idea that you know, we had this great platform, we had these great photographers, you know, maybe we could go out and try to partner up and help an organization, you know, capture their history, you know, and then give them the access to use our, you know, platform and website to service not only the media, like the other ones did, but also them and their sponsors. So they had all the best pictures up to date, players in the right uniforms, things like that. And, you know, it wouldn't be easy to go into, you know, NBA or NFL at that time, but, you know, we went out and I remember being 24, running around with Negs, talking to the CEO of IndyCar and just, you know, being fearless and showing him who we are and what we do and, you know, how we could help them and why we'd be a good fit. And I remember, you know, him going, yeah, yeah, looking at me and probably like I was crazy. And um, then just leaving and then a week later many remembering their head of communications calling me that he was on his way home from Australia and he wanted to stop by the office to talk about partnership and um, you know we were able to put together our first official partnership with that league to help do those things we talked about and that sort of started us down the road of where we were now able to go and take that model and at this point in time we basically have almost every sports league in this country NHL NBA we work with the Premier League we got it so big to a point where now it's a category and every three to five years we're bidding on it against other uh, mm. you know competitors even though we're still loved you know it's still a business so I think that was one of the older ones I think today you know for example we just did a deal with a platform called Cirrus 
Um, Simon Berg's the CEO, a wonderful guy. Same thing, fighting over whether they should put free images in versus real images, how that business would work, you know, what the value would be, how it would help their customers. They have all enterprise customers, similar to our customers. So how do we not avoid a cannibalization where they go to Getty or iStock versus that? And we really worked for about eight months to develop the right unique product for him using our API so that when people were signing up to his service, they really needed content and he could just bundle it right in. But now when he bundled it in, it wasn't just this free product. It protected all the big businesses. It had a lot of depth and breadth. They figured out a way to sell it where we can monetize it or not. And I think we've seen it be super successful for both of us, you know, only like three months in. So I think that's where we talk about using technology, um, partnering with a really good creative customer, valuing the content, and getting scale where they don't have to come to our platform. And I'm sure it was a, a coordination effort as well to get to be able to provide the technology that they were interested in, getting product teams or engineers involved as well. Um, so that's a really, uh, it's a very great, that's a very good example of how these things can go and everyone works together. And, and, and you're right. And the most interesting thing about that is what, what happens is all those things you talked about are so key. And a lot of times deals go through all that process and they don't, they still don't get done. And I think what, what, what you learn from that the most is the value proposition, the real reason for doing the deal has to be, you know, agreed and done. And it usually happens at that highest level. And I think that's where having that relationship with the CEO and really working through what it is, once we're on the same page, all those other things don't take as long as you think. The product and the engineering, mm-hmm. in three weeks they had everything up and done because they made it a priority. Yeah, getting buy-in is really key. It is. Um, then as we wrap things up, um, I have an extremely important question, which is our, which is what are the teams that you, uh, what are your teams now, having been a sports enthusiast throughout your whole life and career? Uh, do you want to tell the listeners which, uh, which teams you, uh, you root for? Yeah, so um, big hockey fan, obviously. I have three kids that play hockey, and my dad had season tickets. So as an Islander fan growing up, it was good times. They won a lot of cups, so I stay with them now. Um, I'm a suffering New York Jet fan, mm. but I'm also a big New York Yankee fan. So really enjoying that. Looking forward to going right. to see them play Thursday night. Yep, yep. And um, I generally enjoy all sports, but those would be my teams that I root for. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Peter. You've had so many interesting experiences. You have so many lessons to uh, teach listeners. Um, you've had um, so many good stories. Thank you, Andy. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise.